Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful, no question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? And I just had no answer for <laughs> He just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. on the Tom Bernard Show, ladies and gentlemen. Andy's here. I'm here. We'll be joined in about 15 minutes. Uh, Tim Pawlenty will join us. Also, a, another special guest coming up this hour and another guest in the third hour. Uh, I, I believe uh, Tim is going to stay with us for the first uh, part of the, the third hour as well. Let's see. He is scheduled for... Yes. Yes, indeed. Exactly. So there you go. While the tributes continue to pour in for Barbara Bush, a Fresno State professor is taking heat for her diatribe against the former First Lady... Barbara Bush was a generous and smart and amazing racist who, along with her husband, raised a war criminal. Okay. Wait. So this would be George H.W. Bush's wife? Yes. George W. Bush's wife is... Laura. Laura. Okay, I see. Barbara Bush was George W. Bush's mother. Oh, so she's upset at her for giving birth to W. I see. Rhonda Gerard wrote uh, to kick off an hours-long tweet storm Tuesday just after the 92-year-old's death per the Vesalia uh, Times Delta. In subsequent tweets on her feed, now set to private, Gerard added she can't wait for the rest of the Bush's family to fall to their demise the way 1.5 million Iraqis have. 
called Bush a witch, noted she felt free to speak her mind as a professor at Fresno State, and claimed that her tenure there would protect her from dire consequences for her remarks. I will never be fired, she wrote in one tweet, adding she made $100,000 a year. Why would you put all that stuff in your tweet? Well, because she's right. She's invincible, and if you give someone that much power, they're going to abuse it. But why would you point out to people how much you make? What does that have to do with not liking Barbara Bush? Just, you know, another way that she can make everyone else feel inferior to her because it's all about, you know, it's all about power. Gerard, an associate English professor on current, a current leave of absence, may have been too confident about her job status. A professor with tenure does not have blanket protection to say and do what they wish, said University President Joseph Castro, who adds the university is reviewing the matter per the Fresno Bee. In a statement, Castro distanced Fresno State from Gerard's views and in a radio interview said he was personally shocked, upset, and appalled at her tone, substance, and timing, per the Post. Not everyone is against Gerard. One Fresno grad says people are going after Gerard for stating something valid. Bush had been uh, criticized in the past for saying mostly black Hurricane Katrina evacuees were underprivileged anyway, so it was working very well for them to be holed up in Houston's Astrodome. I don't remember that at all. She said that? I think think they're saying that Bush said that. This is all because they don't like George Bush. That's all it is. Oh, it's all about not liking George Bush. It's not, I I don't know. I I don't remember him saying that either. Um, Let's see, what did she say? Black Hurricane. Uh, Black Hurricane, uh, that that they were underprivileged anyway. Mostly Black Hurricane Katrina evacuees were underprivileged anyway, so it was working very well for them to be holed up. Now, it is in quotes. Oh, they are saying Barbara said that. They are saying Barbara did say that. Uh, Let's see. Um, Well, I mean, that's basically... Almost everyone I've talked to says we're going to move to Houston. What I'm hearing, which is sort of scary, is that they all want to stay in Texas. Everyone is so overwhelmed by the hospitality. Oh, see, here we go. And so many people in the arena here, you know, were underprivileged anyway, so this is working very well for them. She didn't say anything about black people. She just said so many of the people here. So. Oh, so they threw the black part in there. Yep. Naturally, because okay. that's what people do. So, so... What she said wasn't really negative. Well, I mean, yeah, even if she was talking about black people, it's like, wasn't that basically like the whole point is that they were, you know, well, if they, they were, weren't you, like they weren't privileged enough to survive the hurricane or whatever the hell. I don't really understand if, if they were underprivileged, it's working very well for them to be holed up in Houston's Astrodome. I don't see how that's a negative comment. I don't either. They're safe. Uh, isn't that? I, may, I just take it as being, hey, you know what? They're safe, so that's that's a good thing. I don't know. I, I, reading these political stories, it just amazes me because there's you really can't win, no matter how you no. interpret them. You can't uh, win unless you're on their side. In yeah, which case, I you can say literally anything you want. So who's Rhonda Gerard? Is there any? Uh, it's R A N D A J A R R A R. See if you could find anything on on college professor Rhonda Girard, will you? Because she's on leave, uh, and she might not be brought back. Apparently, she may be fired for what she said. Uh, on well, she said, "Thank God the witch is." De-. She said, "Yeah, thank God the witch is dead." Something like that. Yes. Um, yes, indeed. Does she have 
uh, is there any information about this Professor Rhonda Gerard, Gerard or Gerard or however you pronounce it? Because I have, I just don't understand why just after someone died, the day they die, you want to go after them. I really guess I don't understand what that's all about. Um, no, basically everything. Oh, wait, she does have a Wikipedia page, though. But oh, probably does. just because of this, but, you know, whatever. Well, let me see it. Well, there's really... No, this is... Oh, there's nothing on there. In 2014, she said something about white-bellied dancers are engaging in brown face. So she's just, you know, a brainwashed white lunatic. white belly dancers are engaged in brown face? What the hell does that mean? People have... They hear the term blackface, and their takeaway from it is that if your face is, if you make your face black, that's blackface, even though that's not what it is. No. So then they further corrupted it into, if you do anything, if a white person does something that a black person did first, that's blackface. And now they've further corrupted that into, if a white person does anything non-white, that's brownface. So basically, if I use, uh... I don't. I haven't played golf in a couple of years. I've played about eighteen holes, but the next time I, I go play golf, if I use a tee to tee up my ball, that's blackface, because golf tees were invented by a black man. It's cultural cultural appropriation. Well, I don't think it is because I think he did rather well making some dough off of those, didn't he? I guess. I guess he just. I don't really know the history of the golf tee. I don't, super I don't well. really either, but I, I just have to believe that he. Inventing the golf tee worked out rather well for him. I, maybe it didn't. I don't know. Colleges are just, um, they're too eager to give tenure to mentally ill people just because they're yeah, I guess willing so. to uh, say what they want them to say. Why do they wish to believe that white people are the most evil people on earth? White Christians particularly are the most evil people on earth and that nobody else even comes close, which is idiotic. It's a ridiculous belief. Well, it's the same reason, you know, why were so many Germans uh, willing to, you know, round people up and throw them in mass graves while they were still alive, that kind of thing. It's just most people are willing, they'll do and believe whatever you tell them to believe as long as they perceive it as popular enough of an opinion. Yeah, they well, they were talked into, uh, didn't that whole regime, that Hitler re- regime uh, convinced they, they convinced German citizens that it was the Jews who crushed the banks. Well, actually, wasn't it that the French, after World War One, they kind of... Uh, World War One did not help the Ger- Germany, no. No, it did not help Germany at all. But wasn't it the French that insisted that we keep our foot on the throat of the German people, which was a huge mistake, by the way? I, well, yeah, in hindsight, it sure was. Well, but I mean, like, you know, in Rwanda... yeah. How did 800,000 people, or however many it was, they were just all convinced to go around, you know, slaughtering their neighbors? Yeah. I don't think the average person thinks beyond. They just desire leadership, and no matter what the leadership says, they'll follow that. Yeah, but why do they? Why do they want to believe? Because it's easy. It's easy to not have any uh, unique beliefs. I mean, if you could just... Shut down your brain and do what everyone tells you to do, then that's a pretty easy life. Yeah, it'd be boring as hell, though, don't you think? Just I would think so, do but... Do what you're told for the rest of your life? Yeah. I don't know. I just... I, 
I just think people want to be want to feel that they've been victimized, whether they've been victimized or not. I just think that people want to feel, oh, I've been a victim of something. Yep. And I, I, why do they want to believe that? Well, it's easy popularity. Yeah, I guess so. It's just and it's easy power. I can, I can feel sorry for myself over and over and over and over again. Yeah, I suppose that is true. It goes back to power again. Yeah. If you're does. a victim, then people will give you free things for zero effort on your part, and that's quite a bit of power. Right. No, that's true. In the past, I, you had to become, you know, like a king or something to get that kind of privilege. Right. So now it's just basically, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't know why people want to be so unhappy and to pretend that they actually care about everybody. Do you think it's all a false front anyway, that they're only pretending to care about other people just yes. so they'll be left alone? I do. See, that's the, I hate to say that, but that's kind of the take that I get from it is, you're just saying that because you think it protects you from being affected by all of this. It, it's not going to protect you from anything, you dumb <laughs> well, I mean, it, if you look it, at Hollywood, yeah. the uh, nexus of everything, you know, how many of those people have they assaulted people or, you know, like mowed down a civilian and got away with it or oh, yeah. something oh, like that? Absolutely. There, there's very little innocence in Hollywood, but they're the ones who are at the forefront well, of that whole movement. First hour, we just read the statement by Joe Rogan that just said, hey. They, they're the first one to complain about guns and uh, complain about this and that and the other thing. That's how they make all their money is putting guns in movies. It's just, uh, I don't know. The whole thing is just a bad, uh, you know. Hey, by the way, this is, a, this is good news. The poop train finally departed that Alabama town. We were talking about this yesterday. Uh, we were talking about the poop train and all this, that, and the other thing. Well, apparently it finally left Alabama. That train, how long had that train sat there full of poop? I don't remember. Uh, oh, my mic is on. I don't remember this at all. I don't think we talked about it on the podcast. Oh, it was a morning show? I believe so, because I have not heard about this. The smelliest train in America has rolled out of Parrish, Alabama, and the small town hopes it will never see its lights again. In what Mayor Heather Hall described as wonderful news, the train's load of 10 million pounds of sewage... Mm sludge from uh, New York and New Jersey has been transported to a private landfill site 25 miles away after stinking up the town for more than two months. Wait a minute. They transported it all the way to Alabama? Yeah. That seems like kind of inefficient. Yeah, it's very inefficient, as a matter of fact. Hmm. And then it just sat there for two months. Thank God it wasn't the summer heat. That would have been even worse. But Well, in Alabama, I mean, it's not exactly cold. It doesn't exactly get cold. Exactly. In April. The 250 tractor-trailer loads of poop ended up in the parish rail yard after nearby West Jefferson sued to prevent the sludge from being uh, handled locally. The sludge smells of dead, rotting animals as well as human waste and caused the town to become infested with flies, West Jefferson's legal action stated. How was it allowed in the first place? Why did anybody in the town say, okay, you can park your train right there and just leave it there for two months? How, how can that happen in the first place? I really don't understand. Well, I don't really understand how New York doesn't have, you know, like sewage treatment. Mm, yeah. I think I that would be kind of necessary, but apparently instead they just take the medieval route and transport it far enough away that they can't smell it anymore. I guess so. 
Parish residents say the stench from the waste, which was parked near Little League ball fields, was inescapable, made life in the town of 982 people almost unbearable. The mayor, who said the sludge smelled like death, plans to introduce zoning laws to prevent an encore. She says other small towns in the south are dealing with similar problems on a smaller scale. This material does not need to be in a populated area, period. She said in a Facebook post, it greatly diminishes the quality of life for those who live anywhere near it. Parish residents firmly agree. Why would New York City like for us to send all of our, uh, would New York City like for all of us to send all of our poop up there forever? One resident tells the AP. They don't want to dump it in their rivers, but I think each state should take care of their own waste. Yeah, I would have to agree. Why don't, why don't we just do this? Each state take care of your own waste as uh, best you can. I still. How did this ever happen that all of this waste got put on a train and sent from New York, New Jersey to Alabama? That's a. <laughs> Who made money off of that deal? Well, here's something. Um, I was going to say, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to like uh, seal the train off, you know, so it's, you know, if it's sealed, you can't smell it or anything. Yeah. But here's how good of a job they did at sealing that. Um, there are nice ripe tomatoes growing along the track. Because fertilizer was leaking out. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, tomato seed just uh, got all those nutrients and sprouted up. That is a, that's an unbelievable so story. So that's how great those tanks are. That is an unbelievable story. That is amazing. And it's weird because this is like the only time a train like that appears in the news. So I don't know why they yeah. did it. Who knows? I do know this, ladies and gentlemen, that's sitting in the uh, out... Uh, the out, the outer sanctum. If there's an inner sanctum, can there be an outer sanctum? Anyway, waiting to come on. We'll be right back with Tim Palenti, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here, and here with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website about a customer near where I grew up, North Minneapolis. They were specifically looking for a community bank. That's right, Tommy, Prestige Products. They had been with another community bank, but when their bank was acquired by a large regional bank, the owner felt like they were just seeing his business for the numbers on the page and not really understanding his long-term plans. So he met with a number of community banks in the area, including us. Luke at our branch in Shoreview met with the owner. They hit it off, and Prestige Products chose to work with us. Incidentally, their favorite part of working with Luke is that he gets excited about the same things that are important to them. Having a clear understanding of your long-term goals makes for a great relationship and our difference maker for your business. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today 
or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. That's life. That's love. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Andy's here. Catherine and Alex are in uh, Phoenix visiting um, Catherine's parents. Mike Molina's in New York visiting his brother, but our very special guest today. And I try to explain to people that I knew you before you were governor the first the first two times, as a matter of fact. What, what, was, the, what was the year you got elected, the first elected? 2002. 2002. So you served from 2002 to 2010. That's right. Yeah, technically January of two thousand eleven. Yeah. January two thousand three to two thousand eleven. But are you saying, Tom, with all these people gone, that there just is no one else? So it's me. No, that's oh, not. Okay. That's not what I'm saying at all. Right. What I'm saying is, is that they constantly take these trips, and Andy and I get stuck with all the work. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, you know, if you if you said that with Catherine here, there could be consequences. But you're a well, big talker now that she's yeah, in Phoenix guy. and probably not listening. <laughs> really tough guy. Yeah. That's the whole deal. Speaking of wives, how's your lovely wife? She's great. As, although on the theme you were talking about, she's up north at her cabin with our dog, and uh, I'm doing you have other a cabin. Stuff. Yeah. Everyone in Minnesota has a cabin. Okay, well, almost. Uh, we're the only ones who don't have a cabin. Yeah. We used to have a farm, but we sold the farm. But you live in a place like a cabin. You you have a lake and you have some nice outdoor foliage yeah. and yard and trees and grass and all kinds of good stuff. Catherine and I have a little battle going because she wants to sell the house. She actually put the house on the market, but I really don't want to sell it. What's the issue? What's the divide? The it's it's just way too big. Yeah, she said. I mean, and it is the house is is far too big for two people to live in. But it's the last place that our kids lived with us. It's the last house that my mother visited before she died. I have a lot of, you know, a lot of personal attachment to that house. There's a powerful sense of home. I mean, people, yeah. you know, that's a big psychological and, you know, mem- walk down memory lane. So it's hard to let go. So the good thing, the good news for me is, the not, the not good news for her, but the good news for me is that that uh, type of house, those houses are not moving very quickly because uh, you're, you're, very close friend Donald Trump uh, included property taxes uh, or excluded property taxes from the federal return. So all state and local taxes. So if you live in a high tax state like Minnesota, it's not just property taxes. It's you used to get to be able to deduct your state taxes against your federal income tax, and Can't that's that no longer anymore. the case. Uh, over ten thousand. There's a ten thousand dollar cap on it. So no state. You, you cannot deduct your state tax. So did he do this just to get back at Los Angeles and New York? <laughs> well, there's some conspiracy theorists who say it was just trying to get at the blue states with high taxes. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it does disproportionately affect them. Let's be honest about it. In Minnesota, we got high marginal income tax rates, yep. high property taxes, high this tax, high that tax. And, you know, a lot of people have looked at that and said, eh, you know, that's a one more kind of boulder in the sack that's getting kind of heavy for me here in Minnesota. Yeah, so what, what are we going to do about that whole situation? It's a situation where... I, I guess if you can't write off your property taxes, you can't write off what other taxes did you mention? Anything. So the, anything that they call it SALT, Tom, which is an acronym for state 
uh, local, whatever, you know, taxes. But so it used to be you could deduct all your state and local taxes from your federal income tax. Mm -hmm. And now you add that all up and you can take a deduction only up to 10000 So All of it added together? together can only be $10,000 deduction. Everything over that, it's not deductible anymore. So what are, what are high-tax state, states like Minnesota? Look, well, they tried to do – one thing they tried to do is create uh, – and there's a battle about this is this, our local units would say you can give voluntarily to a foundation or a charity that would go to local type government-type services, mm -hmm. but that's been called an illegal question. Anyhow, there's nothing that they're going to do about it right now, and so you're stuck, I'm afraid to tell you, about, on that particular point. Why did he do that? I just don't understand why he wanted to affect all people across the board like that. It makes no well, sense I, I don't know what he was thinking, but I do know that there are some people just came out and said what you said a minute ago, which is we're going to discourage or teach a lesson to high tax places, and we're going to create a, a motivation for people to either demand better government, more efficient government, mm -hmm. lower taxes, or in the worst case, I suppose they have the option to move. Why is Minnesota such a high tax state? What? Uh, and we're not Chicago, we're not Los Angeles, we're not New York. We like to think we are, but we're not. Well, Minnesota has a long tradition of really robust government services, and many of that, many of those are important and contribute to our quality of life. But the fact of the matter, Tom, is uh, by any measure, any measure, Minnesota is one of the top tax states in the country. For the a country. brief period of time, when I was yes. governor, I got us out of the top ten, and now we're back to you know third, third or fourth. But uh, we got a big appetite here, you know, in my view, too much of an appetite for government, government services, and it's inefficient. A lot of it is. It is, absolutely. We have a caller, Andy? Yes, we have Magoo. Magoo, hold on one second, because I have one other question. I, here's what I understand. And I, look, the guy's going after you, so I get to go after him. Uh, I'm not a fan of Mark Dayton. I never have been a fan of Mark Dayton. He says outrageous things. Uh, he takes sides on issues he has no business taking sides on, such things like crime, things like that. Um, how can he talk about how wonderful everything, when all his money sitting in a bank in South Dakota? <laughs> Why do people put up with that? I don't know if that's ever been proven, but I guess there's been allegations that his family money's in a trust in South Dakota. But, but the, I, you know, this election for me you know, is coming up is not about Mark Dayton. It's no, about, about no, the future. But, but it's just a different view of the world. You know, look, they got a view of the world on the, the blue team. I'll call ours the red team. You know, mm -hmm. uh, not, not the, the, you're blue or red. But the point is, if, if you're Mark Dayton and folks who believe in his view of the world, it is – Government is sort of the ticket to a better life for people, and no. and uh, more of it is better in his view. And unfortunately, uh, particularly when it's growing faster than the private economy, I just don't agree with that. I think there's a better way to right. do these things through the much of it through the private economy and individual initiative and responsibility. Why doesn't the average person believe that? Well, we got a we got a lot of issues, Tom. But I would say um, one issue is just this. In today's economy, when I grew up in South St. Paul, you grew up in, in uh, Minneapolis. northern Minneapolis. Back in the day, if you missed the educational rung for whatever reason, mm -hmm. you could still go down, in my case, to the South St. Paul stockyards, my dad, my grandparents, and you could get what my dad called a strong back job. And you yeah, could make a living yeah. for you and your family. Right. And now if you don't have an education or skill, you get kicked to the curb. And once you get kicked to the curb, your options get pretty limited and so then you start thinking about, well, if I can't get a good-paying job because of my lack of skills or education, right. then I want more stuff from the government. And the call comes for more government health care, more government housing, more government transportation, government food. And that, stuff, that, that percent 
uh, of that demand is growing rapidly. And so my view is just one of the things we need to do is we got to get more people more educated and more skilled and right. doesn't have to be a college degree. There's great skilled trades and lots of other ways you can do this connected to the private economy. Because if they don't, if we don't do that, mm -hmm. we're just got more and more people looking to the government to take care of. But I don't really understand. Why don't we look around the world and see how socialism worked in Venezuela? How things, how are things right now in, in England? England has huge problems because they're on the big giveaway program, uh, healthcare and everything else. People can't get surgery. Very serious surgeries are put off months and months and months because it the system doesn't work. Yeah, and there's no um, consequences and incentives for either good or bad behavior because in yeah. government, you know, the average is okay, and and that's not that's not how the world works. It's unbelievable. Oh, by the way, in the third segment, because you're going to stay all like oh, a quarter. Whatever after. you need, sir. Whatever you need. Um, I want you to interview somebody coming up in about 10 minutes. I want to see if you have good interviewing skills. All right. I'm okay. ready. I don't know who it is, but I'll be ready. Magoo's joining us. Magoo, how are you? I'm fabulous. Is this Teapot, the 39th governor of the great state of Minnesota? You got it, Magoo. Yeah. Tommy. Oh, my yes, father sir. thought he's the cat's meow. You know You know what his father was? Well, who? Whose father? Teapot's? Tim. Yeah. I, yes, I do know this. Why? Why? How do you know this? I don't know. My father told me that his father was a truck driver, and I'm a truck driver. But yeah. Yeah. Well, we should so, point out that Magoo is an over-the-road truck driver. He calls in all the time. That's awesome. Yeah. Magoo, yeah. that's right. My dad was a truck driver, and he got promoted at the end of his career to be a dispatcher, and that was a big promotion for our family. But he, for much of his life, he was a Teamster Local 120 truck driver. God. Yep. That's what uh, a lot of us. I don't know if they'll take me in the office. I. Probably just stay out here on the road where it's safer. They don't want me on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, you uh, might be right. Uh, you you had a uh, a great inclusion on uh, the North Star commuter uh, railway, right? I, I did support that. You bet. Yeah. Right, but you didn't. You left before it was completed, right? Same with Target Field. No, I, well, I signed the bill to support Target Field or put it into law, um, but it wasn't built by the time. I'm trying to think. It may have been, actually been built. I think it may have been there for the opening. I can't remember the you timing, might, but in any event, I supported right. uh, Target Field. Right. Um, no, I signed it. I'm sorry. I, I signed the bill in the Metrodome, and then they built it afterwards, I think, is the way it went. Okay. Yeah, I, that, that, that was great things you did for the state of Minnesota, and I thank you for that. Um, I, I have a I have a question. I have been tickled pink since you uh, announced that you're going to be running again, but I get in a lot of arguments. Um, and most of the arguments are from my friends that are coming back at me are that you balanced the budget, but you did it on the back of the teachers. If you could elaborate a little more on on statements like that sure. that I'm hearing. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to do it, Magoo. Yeah, happy to do it. What, what they're referring to is something called the school payment shift. And so schools mm -hmm. get two big payments from the state per year, one in the spring, one in the fall. And uh -huh. uh, a portion of those payments uh, we shifted from the spring to the fall. So they didn't lose any money. There was just a few-month delay in getting their money. So the people who look back at that and say – 
that was a cut to the schools. If you go back and look at the actual effect on the schools, it, the sky wasn't falling. It wasn't dramatic. And by the way, every governor facing tough economic times dating back to Al Qui has done the same mm-hmm. thing. So it's not, it wasn't even an unusual maneuver. Really? Right. Yeah. They've all done. So, it's a, yeah. so it's false statements when, when people are saying that thousands of teachers lost their jobs because you signed that. No, I don't think that's accurate. You know, they'll they'll school districts shrink or grow based on enrollment, and uh, that school shift, shifting a little bit of the payment money from the spring to the fall, did not by itself cause thousands or tens of thousands of teachers to lose their jobs. That's not accurate. And and just because I, I want to argue on your behalf, what is that act called so I can? Uh, look it up and read up oh it's it. called a school payment shift and so again the state has a projected budget deficit and every governor again uh when when al Qui left perpetual deficit when uh Perpich left carlson a deficit when ventura left me a deficit every governor who's faced a deficit or at least a projected deficit has done the same thing or similar in fact governor dayton did it even bigger than i did well why right, is it? but but your 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 budgets I mean, the state was balanced. Well, it has to be. So what they're talking about, Magoo, is this. If Under Minnesota law, unlike the federal government, you actually have to balance your budget every budget cycle. And the law does not require you to – excuse me, does not allow you to have a imbalanced budget. So we balance the budget every budget cycle every time. And what they're talking about is when I left office, and, of course, we had a near recession, depression uh, in 2008 and beyond, uh, mm-hmm. there was a projected budget deficit for the two years after I left office. But that assumes a bunch of spending increases that I would have never agreed to. I mean, there was this, so it's called forecasted spending, but I would never have agreed to the ingredients, if you will, of that deficit had I been governor. In fact, Governor Dayton went on to solve it without raising taxes. He, and he did a school shift, by the way, a big one. I know. It, it, it's really hard in politics to uh, make a decisive uh, decision on anything because this group is spinning it towards uh, – their beliefs and this group is spinning stuff towards their yeah it's really complicated and most people can't follow but just tell your friends it is illegal in minnesota to have a budget deficit and the budget was balanced every has has been balanced every budget period in all of minnesota history and always will because our state law and constitution requires it there's no such thing as an actual budget deficit all right well thank you so much it was such an honor to speak to you and i don't know if you want to tell everybody you can keep it on the down low but you got my gorge board all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that means a lot to me. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, Thanks, Magoo. Always nice to hear from you. Um, didn't the Teamsters Union really stick it to the Teamsters? Uh, their, their retirement benefits really dwindled from what I understand. Well, there's a lot of pension problems, Tom, with, yeah, the, with unions yeah. generally and public unions, private unions. And so – uh, if you go back and look, I don't want to go back too far, but if you go back to the Jimmy Hoffa era and some of the others. That's going back. There was some uh, allegations that there was misappropriation of pension monies. Now, it wasn't the only reason that some of the pensions went bad, but it's one of the reasons that there was mischief and maybe, yeah. ought to be put it kindly, unwise use of some of the pension money that helped implode some of the uh, right. pension funds. And by the way, when pri- private pensions go implode, Taxpayers can be held on the uh, hook for it because there, there's a guarantee in, under certain circumstances by the federal government. So hopefully after after inside the union will be fine. That's where all my dough is. Doing all those commercials all those <laughs> you got, years. You were getting, get the card. See if I'll, yeah. Well, we'll yeah. see. It, we'll see how it works out. And uh, oh, Andy's answering the phone. Gregory Wrightstone. 
is calling and should be pretty interesting. Oh, um, Gregory Wrightstone, uh, our, our booker does a really, really good job on this show because I never know in advance who's going to be on the show. Like, I, it was only by accident that the fact that I had ta- I called you to talk to you about, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and that you mentioned me you were coming on because nobody ever tells me who's going to be on. So, what's the thinking behind that? You're better when you're fresh, when you're uh, surprised, just kind of doing it from the cuff. Yeah, it's a real honest reaction to everything. There was something this morning that, oh, as a matter of fact, uh, I stayed up and watched the uh, watched the Twins game last night, but I only stayed up till the sixth inning. There was no score in, in the game, and I'm not, I said, well, I just I can't stay up until ten o'clock at night and blah blah blah. So I get up and I don't do any show prep or I don't do any of that. I just have an honest reaction to whatever appears on the screen. I don't even bring the news up on my own screen. Somebody else does that. So I saw that the Twins won the game 2-1, to one, and that was very nice. I did not know it went 16 innings, 16. though. So I was like, oh, my God. All right, we'll be right back. Tom Bernard. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin, is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is the equal opportunity employer. Good to go. Our uh, special in-studio guest, Tim Pawlenty, he is uh, officially running for governor for a third term as governor, which is, uh, oh, I think it's a good idea. Well, again, I, I, I met you before you were governor the first time around, so I've known you for quite some time and spent a lot of time, and our wives get along very, very well. So, uh, you know, i got a personal choice there. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it just is the way it is. Gregory Wrightstone, our special guest, just in time for Earth Day, inconvenient facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Uh, Gregory, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. So we started off with global warming, but we got rid of that because, uh, let me put it this way, I was on the road doing some work. And I flew from uh, West Palm Beach, from Palm Beach International Airport to MSP, Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport, last Friday. And our plane landed at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 4 o'clock last Friday afternoon, it started snowing, and it snowed 20 inches in the metro area. Now, 
if we still called it global warming, that would kind of be evidence that there's not a whole lot of global warming going on, except for apparently Al Gore claimed he saw fish walking down the street in Miami. I don't know if you heard that or not. but I have. What, what was he trying? Oh, by the way, uh, so yes, Tim Pawlenty, who's running for governor, and a, two, a two-term governor uh, just a, a few years ago, Tim Pawlenty, is in studio with us. Uh, you probably you probably don't agree on a lot of stuff that Al uh, with a lot of stuff that Al Gore has to say anyway, do you, Tim? <laughs> you know, he and I have been on opposite sides of many political discussions. <laughs> That's but what I thought. I'm yeah. Anxious to hear what Gregory has to say about all this. So, what is, is this all about? Making money? The man has made an, a, a massive amount of money off of this uh, climate change thing, has he not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Al Gore, you might not be aware, he only took one science course in college. And he got a D in it. And we're supposed to be listening to him lecture us. And, uh, I mean, it's incredible. The amount of things he said, that's the problem. One of my favorite quotes from the book is uh, uh, from Yogi, Yogi Berra. Mm-hmm. He said, making predictions is really tough, especially about the future. <laughs> I mean, that's classic Yogi Berra, isn't it? And, and, and that's the problem when you make predictions, and especially somebody like Al Gore, we can look back and see how wrong they've been with these predictions. For example, uh, the U.N. in 2005 predicted there'd be 50 million climate refugees by 2010. Oh, God. And they listed a lot of the high-risk islands. Well, that didn't occur. But not to be uh, undeterred, they, in 2015, they, they made the, the same projection for 2020. Well, in the book, I go back and look at four of the most highly-risk islands that were supposed to be underwater by now. Well, for crying out loud, the population's uh, exploded. There have been people flocking to the islands, not fleeing from them. You know, they they just can't understand that uh, one of the problems is they're making these predictions, and that's that's really the problem. They're making predictions based on climate models that really can't model climate very well. And what we see is these climate models over-predict warming by two and a half to three times as Mm -hmm. much of what we actually see. Yeah, I mean... uh the planet has warmed up on average, but by, like, what, one degree in the past 50 years or something like uh, that? hundred years. Yeah, but we, we, everything in climate change goes in Celsius, not Fahrenheit. So, yeah. yeah, but it's been about a degree Celsius over the last 150 or so years. Yeah, that's Which uh, doesn't sound slow. like that's about a, a degree and a half. I don't have the numbers, you know, it's give or take a couple tenths Fahrenheit. And that doesn't sound like a, a, a whole lot, but... You know, if you're a farmer in Minnesota and you get a, uh, it drops to 31 instead of 32 in April, uh, you might destroy your crops. So, you know, that a small temperature change like that uh, does have a, an effect on, for example, length of growing season and such. And uh, uh, so we, you don't, the thing that's important is we don't want to be, we have to accept what actually is happening. Don't be a denier, as we're. Right. I'm often derided because temperature has been increasing, mm-hmm. and we know actually when we, if we'll talk about temperature for a moment. We know when the current warming cycle started. It started in the year 1695. Okay, that was 350 years ago. That was in the depths of the Maunder, was called the Maunder Minimum, the coldest, coldest part of the Little Ice Age. And it's been warming, thankfully, ever since. Because um, what we see is really bad things happen when it's cold. Uh, and the Little Ice Age was 
was no exception because uh, half the population of Iceland perished, for example, and uh, the River Thames froze on a yearly basis. And the last time that happened was 1812. So we know by lots of historical data that we have been in this warming trend out of, uh, thankfully, coming out of that, you know, the depths of the Little Ice Age. You know, Gregory, the thing about it is, as far as uh, my personal view, you want to live the cleanest life you can. I don't like, I used to, when I would walk around, we'd um, walk the dog or whatever, I used to go over and pick up if people threw a bottle in the street or threw their lunch bag in the street, I'd just go and pick them up. And then I was told by, uh, by a pretty prominent doctor, you actually touch those things that people just discard in the middle yeah. of the street. <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I were you because you don't know what disease they have. Yeah, I'm probably in the 90th percentile for recycling, but I'm not going to be touching any, yeah, yeah so, hepatitis I mean, garbage. We want to live the cleanest life we possibly can. We want to, you know, respect other people's pro- But it seems to me, uh, and again, this is all, I go for long walks now. I love to go for long walks and just kind of spend time by myself. It seems to me that every year... The garbage in the gutters is getting deeper. Yeah. It's not getting better. So is anybody paying attention to anything that Al Gore said anyway? Well, you know, we're all – you're a conservationist, aren't you? You're, yep. you're a – I think we're all, we're all environmentalists, yep. we, you know, yep. in the pure sense of the word. We want, we want to live – we want a cleaner environment. We want a, a safer environment. And, and that's why uh, – I was just contacted by uh, Calvin Beisner, the, the founder of the Cornwall Alliance, which is a Christian group. And there's nothing in my book at all about religion or Christianity or Judaism or anything. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what, your book so fully aligns with our principles. And their principles are, we want to use all of our resources. You know, he used the word God's creation. But he says, we want to use all of our resources to benefit mankind. We want to do it mm-hmm. to lift people up a po- out of poverty and do it in a responsible manner. And he says, I want to make your book, and so my book this month is their, their book of the month they're promoting. And I didn't, I thought about it, you know, you know, he's right. The overall theme of what I was writing about is how the earth is prospering and thriving and humanity is thriving. And it, really goes back a lot, not directly, I mean, not, not entirely, but a lot of it's related to rising temperatures and increasing CO2, uh, so fully benefiting the Earth. The Earth is greening, soil moisture is increasing, and the experts tell us, and it's not me that's saying, I'm, I'm quoting other experts saying that it's due to the climate change we're seeing. Gregory, this is Tim Pawlenty. Just on that point, when, when you set aside Al Gore and his D that he got in science class, mm-hmm. and then you listen to you know, the larger scientific community who make, you know, I think you just acknowledge that the, at least the record since the mini ice age of the 1600s has been a warming trend. Yep. Uh, just two quick questions. One is, do you think any of that warming is accelerated or enhanced by human behavior? And then secondly, beyond Al Gore, are, what, what do you say when people say, well, what about the rest of those scientists? Uh, they're, they're not Al Gore. They're actual scientists, and they think you know, the following. How do you rebut all of those kinds of comments? Yeah, we are there, – there's been – I hate to – if I'm being interviewed, I hate to throw out numbers, but we almost have to. That we're, our, our CO2 level today is at around 400 parts per million, and that's increased – 
by about 120 since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And, and most of that CO2 increase is due to our burning of fossil fuels. Just there's a lot of ways to look at it and prove it. There's, there's really no denying that. And CO2 is greenhouse gas, so that the increase in CO2 has to have some warming effect on the Earth. That's not really an argument. What is an argument is, are, is, is that actually driving temperature increase? And there's a lot of evidence to prove and, and support the notion that uh, the warming we've been in is primarily driven by the same natural forces uh, that have been driving temperatures up and down and up and down for hundreds of millions of years. It didn't suddenly stop at the beginning of the 20th century. So I'll argue that, that the amount of warming that that additional CO2 has on planet Earth is probably a lot closer to 5% than it is 95%. And that's really the big argument, because um, we see that, for example, we mentioned earlier that the warming started 300-plus years ago. Well, we know that for the first 200-plus years, that was entirely naturally driven. And again, we're being asked to believe that, that, that those drivers driving temperatures up until early 20th century or mid-20th century suddenly ceased. And that's, you know, your listeners aren't dummies. they it, nature doesn't work that way. Those same natural drivers are driving temperatures today. And the second part of your your question was about, uh, we hear a lot about the 97% consensus. Well, most of that is based on a paper by John Cook that was written a number of years ago. And his definition of consensus, he would include me. He just cast an extremely wide net. Uh, so anybody that, any scientists that believe that CO2 is increasing and has some warming effect on the Earth would be included in that 97%. Oh, well, that would be like, uh, I've heard it, the example used, that would be like uh, uh, saying that there's a 97% consensus for abortion on demand. If you include people who believe that you should be able to get an abortion in, in the case of the risk of the life of the mother, well, maybe you could get close to 97%. But, but again, it really wouldn't be a, you know, very good sample of the population. What, what's the big benefit for all these people? Uh, I, know, I know the benefit for Al Gore, obviously. The man has done rather well. Although I didn't know he invented the Internet until he told me that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that was a yeah, – one, one of the things I want to do, too, I've got some – I've got 90 full color. The, the book is full color. It's written for non-scientists. Um, I've been told over and over it's so readable. Uh, and what I want to do is empower people with some of this knowledge and some of the facts that they wouldn't see elsewhere. So at my website, uh, if you subscribe, I'll send you a link for a PowerPoint for the top 25 figures in the book because I want people to be, have that in their hands so they can actually use it. So the book just doesn't sit on their shelf. No, that's a great idea. I, again, I think... It, what, uh, what I'm hearing from you is, yes, we all want to live clean lives. We want to sure. live the best lives we possibly can. Uh, I just, Gregory and, and Tim, I am seeing people saying things now and doing things now that are the most outrageous things I've ever heard. In my There were two headlines yesterday, and this has nothing to do with the current subject, but it does have to do with, the, with, with where people's heads are these days. Uh, the AP released... Uh, a story yesterday that said that all Christians and conservatives are racist. 
That's hmm. 2.2 billion people on the earth are racist. And by the way, I, I, I'm not a very religious person myself, so I'm not fighting a battle for or against anyone here. But Christianity is the most diverse religion on earth. It has people of all colors involved in it, yet that, that's what the headline was. I also saw uh, Tamika Mallory say uh, that she would take part in the Starbucks um, racial bias classes only if they didn't allow Jews to be part of it. (laughs) What is wrong with people, Gregory? Have we just lost our minds? Tone deaf. Tone deaf. I guess. I I, I get that. But we see... Just so, such crazy things we read about, yep. you, know, you know, concerning climate change and other things, and the anti-fracking people. And just we seem one of the greatest uh, problems we have as a scientist is really the diminishment of the scientific process. We saw that uh, in the anti-fracking debate. We see it here in climate change, where pseudoscience passes as as true science, and the peer review process has really been severely diminished over the last few years. It's too easy to get your voice out right now. Yeah, that's true. Hey, Gregory, this is Tim. One other quick question. There's some discussion about, regardless of what you think about this issue, that we've already hit what's called peak carbon. In other words, it's starting to get better already, Uh, again, regardless of what you think of the issue, uh, because of a number of things, you know, improved efficiency and fuel efficiency in cars, switching out old coal plants to cleaner burning Natural gas plants, you know, continued use of nuclear fuel, uh, maybe not new plants being built, but not decommissioning the old ones. And that, at least in the U.S., carbon emissions are actually going down, and we are leading the world in reducing carbon emissions. And so regardless of what you think about the, the issue more broadly, you know, it is uh, carbon emissions are taking place. Yeah, things yeah, get better. Well, yes and no. Yes reduce in carbon the United emissions. States, we're the only country on Earth that's really – right had that natural gas fracking revolution and mm-hmm. the other we're we're not the drivers of the of the co2 anymore our, our co2 emissions are dropping it's the it's india china uh, those two countries in particular yes. are uh, and, and the, the rest of the developing world they're leading the, the the world with building new coal-fired power plants every month and uh, so anything we, we do here in the united states really has very little to do with carbon. Carbon dioxide is going to continue uh, to increase, and, and due to them, not us. Because oh, we, we've let free markets uh, work here, and CO2 emissions have dropped, although I would argue that I think the EP under Scott Pruitt needs to uh, reverse their, their edict uh, declaring that CO2 is a pollutant, because it's not. Um, and before we get, I'm not sure how much time we have here, but... Uh, I'd like to give out the website, so if anybody does want to get that PowerPoint or Sounds good. order a book online, we could do that. And what is the website? Yeah, that's uh, inconvenientfacts.xyz, and there's a promo code there for uh, $5 off. You can get your, but also if you hit subscribe, you'll get a, uh, be sent a PowerPoint with top 25 figures in the book. Fantastic. Gregory Wrightstone is W-R-I-G-H-T-S-T-O-N-E. Gregory Wrightstone, uh, Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Gregory, fantastic. Fascinating stuff. I, I, like I said, I'd like to live a nice, wonderful, clean life, but I don't really need to be threatened into it. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Yeah, we've just we've just scratched the surface of this. There's it's it's I, I find I, obviously I find it fascinating. Right. right. Yeah. Thank you for Thank your time, sir. I appreciate it. We'll be back. Thanks. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car. Run out of gas. You have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer for <laughs> He just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Do you think they're ever going to come back to town again? Do you think ELO will come back to town? I don't know. That Jeff Lynn, I guess you never know what he's up to. You never know what he's up to. That's exactly Then again, your buddy, exactly the Fornicator, is right. in town tonight. Who's that? Robert Plant. Oh, the Fornicator's in town tonight. That's right. He's at the Orpheum, isn't he? Yep. <laughs> we'll see that. It'd be good. Why are people at Parks and Rec, Park, Parks and Rec upset when it's not even on, t- on TV anymore? Amy Poehler is no fan of the NRA, so she and her Parks and Recreation colleagues were less than pleased when the organization used a GIF showing Poehler's character from the show. Thank you for being the voice of over 5 million hashtag NRA members. Uh, The NRA's official account tweeted to Dana Lesh, the organization's spokesperson, Wednesday night alongside a GIF of Poehler's character saying, Thank you. Parks and Recreator Michael Schur Quickly responded Variety Reports, hi, please take this down. I would prefer you not use a GIF from a show I worked on to promote your pro-slaughter agenda. He tweeted, also, Amy isn't on Twitter, but she texted me a message. Can you tweet the NRA for me and tell them I said F off? (laughs) So she's a little upset, apparently. I wonder if they realize that that makes it like 100,000 times less likely for them to take it down. There's no question about it, and I would never have known about it had they not complained about it. Yep. I would have never heard about this. I think a lot of times just ignoring things like that is the route to take, Andy. I think you're right about that. Just ignore it. It'll go away. They don't own clips from the show anyway. The only people who really could say take that down would be NBC. And I don't think a a two-second GIF is long enough for the NBC. Oh, it's a GIF? I thought it was a GIF. 
It's really either. It doesn't really matter. Or but um, okay. I don't think even NBC would have the authority to tell them to take it down because it's such a short little thing that it doesn't even qualify as, you know, IP theft or anything. Right. So it's like, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's It's very entitled, I think, to think that you can tell someone... Don't use a little clip from the show that I worked on a long time ago. Nick Offerman and Adam Scott, Polar's co-stars on the show, then chimed in. Mashable reports, our good-hearted show, and especially our Leslie, is it Leslie Nope? Yep. So it is Leslie Nope. Mm-hmm. Represent the opposite of your pro-slaughter agenda, Offerman tweeted, referring to Polar's character. Take it down and also please eat Shiite, if you know what I'm saying. Hey, at NRA, please stay the F away from Leslie Nope, Scott tweeted. As of late Thursday morning, the NRA's tweet remained up with more than 6,000 likes and 1,500 retweets. Just what you said, Andy. The fact that they made, a, made something of it just made it bigger. How can they be, like, in a, the public eye, and all of them are at least in their 40s, and yet they somehow don't know better than to do this? Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, people do send me tweets all the time, negative tweets about me. They send them to me going, look what this person said. I couldn't care less. I don't know them. I don't care what they think of me. And if I were uh, Amy Poehler and they said, oh, look at your characters, all pro NRA, it's a character. It's not me. I don't care. I don't know you and I don't care. And I don't know, this this pro-slaughter Do you really think that anybody is pro-slaughter? Do you think that's a bit too harsh? Yeah, seriously. And um, yeah, the fact that they use that language makes them look even more childish. This is the kind of thing that I would expect from, like, a 14-year-old. Yeah, I just don't think it's a good idea. I, I agree with you. Just ignore it, and it goes away much more quickly. Had they ignored it, we would have never known about this story. It would have never popped up on Newser, and I would have never known about it. So, and I don't think anybody really believes that Leslie Nope exists. So, therefore, who cares? But, but seriously, about that whole Twitter thing that people that love to go on there and bash this and bash that, who cares? I don't know you. I couldn't give a rat's ass what you think of me or anybody I know. I don't care. Rip away. Go ahead. Right? It doesn't affect me personally. But people do. I don't know why they do it. They love to send me negative tweets about me or negative posts about me on Facebook. I don't care. You can keep sending them. That's fine. Um, You know, the pro pro stuff is nice, and you hope it's genuine and all the rest of it. Uh, The people that can't stand the show or can't stand me, well, F off. I don't care. You don't like the show? Leave me alone. Go away. Right? Or if you don't want to leave me alone, you can still just go away. It really does not. This would not have affected Amy Poehler in any way, shape, or form. But by acknowledging it, now everybody knows about it. Right? Right. Yes. Yep. What the hell did you guys both you know fall asleep a rhetorical question is? Yes, I do. I know exactly. <laughs> Listen to you. Jay, shut up, Andy. You know what a rhetorical question. You see what he runs by. You see the disrespect. Oh, I want to cover that Melania's parents story. That's that's an interesting take on this whole chain migration situation. 
President Trump has railed against so-called chain migration, more commonly called family reunification. No, it's not called family reunification. Newser made that up. The visa process by which green card holders or legal residents in the United States can bring family members over from their home countries, per NPR. But now the focus is turning to how the First Lady's parents came to the U.S. Victor and Amalia Navis, or Navs, uh, now have legal permanent residency here, reports the New York Times, and they're close to obtaining their citizenship, sources tell the Washington Post, which notes that permanent residents usually need to wait five years before they can become naturalized. Both their immigration lawyer and a spokesperson for Melania Trump declined to offer details on how and when they became lawful U.S. residents, citing their privacy. Under the process currently in place, an American citizen can apply to have his or her parents, siblings, and adult married kids come to the U.S. Trump wants to restrict that to just parents and children under the age of 21. Melania's parents may have come in via an investment or work visa, but experts say sponsorship by Melania, who became a U.S. citizen in 2006, would have been the easiest way to bring her parents over from Slovenia. That would be the logical way to do it, the preferred way to do it, and possibly the only way to do it under the facts that I know, an immigration attorney tells the Post. And it's also fairly routine. A UCLA immigration law professor notes to the Times, adding that it only becomes sensitive if her husband is taking a position against this. Uh, Questions have also arisen in the past about Melania's own transition from immigrant to U.S. citizen. So now we're going to argue about Melania, Melania being a U.S. citizen. We also, the past president, went through the whole birther thing about how he wasn't really born in the United States and therefore he's not really a citizen and therefore he can't really be president. They're never going to give up on that either side, are they? Nope. It's going to be, you're not a real president. You're not a real citizen. Well, you're not a real citizen either. Your wife's not a real citizen and her parents are not. Would you let it go? Good God. I mean, Trump was a big uh, birther, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. yeah. He thought that uh, Barack Obama was born in Nigeria or something. No. Oh, excuse Kenya. Me. Kenya. That's right. It was Kenya. I thought he was born in Kenya. So, uh, seriously, would you come up with something else in your life to entertain you. Calm down. Everything will be fine. Don't worry about a thing. Or to give a crap about it. It's like, what? what just... Live your life. I mean, man, just people. That's what I would say. Just live your life. Everything well, so will be fine. Desperate to be able to say gotcha to Trump that this is what they're going after. They're going after what if we can prove that, you know, Melania was, uh, she got here from ways that Trump, you know, doesn't agree with. Yeah, but you know but, what? You know, even if she did, yeah. that was a long time ago. Things change. Yeah, the law, that was the law of the day, so I don't understand what your argument is. Does anyone understand what your argument is? I never understood what Trump's argument was about Barack Obama being a birther, uh, being born in some other country, and therefore he couldn't be president of the United States. Why did, why did he care so much about that? You weren't going to get him pulled from being president of the United States, right? Why did you care so much? People think impeaching the president is a lot easier than it is. Well, and even if the president gets impeached, doesn't mean he's going to be taken from office, taken out of office. Richard Nixon was, but Bill Clinton was not. He was impeached, but he wasn't taken out of the presidency. I, I just, Mm-mm. I don't know. It just seems so odd to me that people have this convoluted and kind of weird view of how life really works. Don't you think? 
you really think that's how life works, is just if you bitch enough, you'll get your way. Well, well, it works when you're a kid, and a lot of these people never grow up. I suppose. I suppose you're right about that, that it just, uh, you know, when you're a little kid, sometimes in some people's lives it actually does work, and therefore they just don't give up on it. I, I Once again, ladies and gentlemen, why you care so much about people you don't even know, I will never understand. Oh, they're, they, they're harmful. How are they harmful to you? If you ignore them... Who cares? But see, you know, you know who I think is leading that parade is Hollywood. And that Amy Poehler story is a perfect example. If Hollywood had ignored that, we wouldn't even have known about it. But they think they can do it all because they're so important and they're so famous and they're such big deals that they think their opinion matters on everything and therefore they must state their opinion so you as a member of the proletariat, learn something because they're actually better than we are. Do you think they believe that? Do we, I think our guest is on. Well, he's trying to call in. He's calling in right now. I don't think he's on are we yet. Still, we're still having phone issues? Yeah, he's going he's gonna, to, he just didn't want to disconnect line one during the show. I don't know why, but he didn't want to do that, so... Like I said, we're, oh. we're moving offices and we're getting all new phone equipment. Thank God. It's just the building's too old. It just doesn't work. You know we what I mean? We rewire it, but I don't think no, they're going to. That's not going to really work either. Is Robert ready to go? Yep. Robert, how are you? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Things are going okay. along pretty well. We're just kind of trying to figure out what's wrong with the world. That's about it. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck to all of us. That's all I have to say, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Robert, hey, but, uh, c- congratulations to uh, some of your Minnesota Gophers who were on the women's uh, gold medal hockey team last night. Wasn't that wonderful? The women's wow. gold medal hockey what a team. Game. Did you see the Canadian woman? They put the silver medal around her neck and she took it off immediately. No, <laughs> yes, she did. She didn't want to wear a silver medal. She was too upset. She was Oh wow. She was on the team in 2014 when Canada won the gold and apparently the gold was all she was about to uh to accept. She wasn't about uh accepting anything less than the gold medal, so she took it off the second they put it around her neck. Yeah, we had six wow. former gophers on that team last night or this morning, I should say. Six former gophers. Yeah. yeah it's all true. So Robert, where do you live? I live out in Los Angeles. So you do live in Los Angeles. Uh The book is called Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder. On June 29, 1978, Bob Crane, known to Hogan's Heroes fans as Colonel Hogan, was discovered brutally murdered in his Scottsdale, Arizona apartment. His eldest son, Robert Crane, our guest today, was called to the crime scene. You were actually called to the crime scene, Robert. Well, uh, let me back up a little bit. I'll try to make this as brief as possible. Um, I got a, my stepdad actually, Chuck, got a call from my dad's attorney who want, said, can you have Bobby, that's me, Bobby, call us as soon as possible. I was driving my grandmother, my dad's mom, to my <laughs> mom and stepdad's house. It's so long, boring story. Sorry. As soon as I got there, Chuck, my stepdad, said, hey, get in here. you got to make a phone call. Very serious look on his face. He always has a great smile. I went in. I called the attorney. The attorney said, there's a rumor your dad's been shot. 
I am going to Phoenix. Do you want to go with me? And I go, absolutely. We went to Burbank Airport, got on a plane, went to Phoenix. By the time we arrived, uh, Detective uh, Barry Vassell with the uh, Scottsdale Police Department turned around the car and said, i got to tell you, Mr. Crane is dead. So this had happened about 12 to 15 hours earlier in the day. Now, this is 1978, so this is before social media, you know, tweeting and Facebooking and all that stuff, no instant news. So nobody knew anything except the police and the uh, woman who found my dad. So what in, in terms of being called to the crime scene, it was an elective thing. I wanted to go there and be the eyes and ears for my family. Mm-hmm. And when we got to the crime scene, of course, my dad's body was gone. It was taken oh, away. okay, good. Uh, but they did let us walk through the apartment. I mean, this is pre-DNA and pre-police uh, procedural TV show. And we're touching stuff along with all the other police that are standing around smoking. You know, it was unbelievable. Amazing. We need to take a very quick break. Robert Crane with us. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes. Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Thanks, Tom. Always a pleasure to be with you. One thing we keep talking about is that North American Banking Company is a community bank. Why is that important? Well, two things. First, as a locally owned and operated bank, we move quickly for our customers when it matters most. You're not waiting for a loan decision to come out of state or making the decision right here at your home. Secondly, our customers appreciate the fact that we get to know them and understand their goals. For many of our customers, we're coaches, mentors, and sometimes sounding boards for their ideas. It's hard to get that from a big bank, but it's something we do just because it's Tuesday. Well, that sounds like a great way to do business. All of our employees are working to help meet your business needs. It's how we create loyalty. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company? A better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. We are back at the Tom Bernard Show, ladies and gentlemen. The book is called Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder. Robert Crane, our special guest, the son of Bob Crane. Hogan's heroes, of course. Um, it's interesting reading your bio, Robert, and I do want to get back to the, uh, back to the story at hand, but a lot, of, a lot of trauma and tragedy in your life, whether it be your father or John Candy or people that you really thought a great deal of, uh, 
you've had some pretty pretty rough waters to swim uh, throughout your life, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. There, there have been some uh, curves in the road, as they say, but uh, just keep going. You know, you, you have to make uh, uh, choices all the time. We always, all of us, come to the forks in the road, and you know, you got to keep the going along on the on the right fork and the, the one that where you try not to repeat mistakes over and over and over. So that that's what I've followed. Uh, but yeah, er, everybody has deaths in their family and uh-huh. um, and friends and. And that you know, the older I'm getting, of course, there's more and more. But uh, just keep going, keep laughing. Uh, I mentioned my uh, stepdad Chuck earlier. He just turned 90. God bless him. And he, you know, he's been on this whole sordid road with me now for the past 40 years uh, uh, regarding my dad's case. You know, it's amazing. It, uh, I. Um... One of my favorite uncles, as a matter of fact, was murdered. He was thrown off a building when I was 13 years old. Oh, God. And I remember yeah. going through that whole deal. And I, uh, the thing that bothered me the most about it, Robert, to tell you the truth, my uncle's name was Augie. He was a really good guy and got mixed up with the wrong crowd, as they say. Yeah. Uh, I think he pissed off the wrong person. And yeah. uh, he was a big guy. He was about 6'3", probably about you know 220 pounds, something like that. Uh, he he had a driver, this young woman who was his driver, but he never had a job, so I could never figure out what that was all about. <laughs> so all of a sudden he turns up, and and I'll never forget his funeral. We're at his funeral, and I and I don't go to funerals because of this. Uh, I don't like funerals because there's my uncle dead in the in the casket, and one of my relatives leaned over and kissed him on the lips. Ooh. And I went, yeah. okay, that's that's yeah. gonna do it for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, murder is different, though. You know, having people die in your in your your life and in your family—that's a different feeling. The murder part is that feels like I I sh- I understand Robert how that does feel. It wasn't my father; it was my uncle. But still, murder is a whole different way to lose somebody. It is. It, it's shocking. And, uh, of course, uh, I'm sure like your family, my family was uh, ill-prepared for this. This was something that you just saw in the news happen to other people. Right. And then uh, when it finally happened to us, or not finally, when it happened to us, uh, it's a shock to this day. You know, we're coming up on 40 years since he uh, died. And we, my family doesn't talk about it. I don't, I don't have a... Uh, talkative family where we all sit down in a circle and hold hands or anything uh, <laughs> okay. so that's why that's why i wrote a book yeah it makes total sense now i will say this while i do share the loss of a, a relative a close relative to murder my uncle was not a celebrity so that's another part of this that's a burden yeah. for you right right yeah um you know i've got the the same first and last name I, we have different middle names mm-hmm. but um so uh, you know right after it was pretty fresh i mean uh you know i'd use a charge card on you know at a dinner or something and oh, yeah. one time i you know a guy to mexico hey i thought you were dead <laughs> oh god you know, and needless to say i didn't go back to that restaurant but uh oh, man. you know but you know things like that happen yeah, things like that do happen. It's it's unfortunate. It, the whole thing is. Uh, I do have to mention one thing that that, that you being on your career writing for for We Magazine, correct? Yeah, 
Wee Magazine, the late, great Wee Magazine. The late, yes. great Wee Magazine. I tell a magnificent story. Uh, at least I find it magnificent. Most people do. <laughs> I was doing iron work when I was in my early 20s. I was an iron worker. And iron workers are pretty, some pretty tough guys. Maybe some of them, not all of them, but some of them might not be the smartest people on earth. I go in the construction trailer to have lunch, and there's this big guy in there, and he's reading this magazine. Uh, and I said, what's this? Then? What do you got there? And he goes, ah, it's this, this new uh, you know, girly magazine. I said, oh, yeah, what's it called? And he turns it over, looks at the cover, and goes, oink. <laughs> I, said, I said, what? He goes, yeah, it's like Oink Magazine. I said, let me see the cover. I said, it's we. Oui. It means yes in French. It's not Oink. There's no N. There's no K. I, I will never forget that as long as I live. Oink oh, Magazine. Very good. So you worked for, I don't know if you know this, Robert, but you worked for Oink Magazine. And then yes. uh, you worked for Playboy interviewing uh, celebrities the Chevy Chase, Bruce Stern, Joan Rivers of the world. By the way, Joan Rivers one of the greatest losses in comedy ever. I adored her. Oh, she's very funny. I mean, yep. you know, uh, just didn't have boundaries in terms of who she went after. I mean, she went after her husband. You know, Edgar. Edgar. You know, uh, didn't matter to her, and you know, you either. I, I I know some people who did not appreciate her humor. I, I know. think it was one of those things. You either got on her train or you didn't you know but uh yeah she was very funny god i was i thought she was just absolutely wonderful and i interviewed her about 50 different times oh wow she was just fantastic every time very very funny very yep. giving it wasn't like hurry up let's get this over with it wasn't like that ever at all no no very sweet very, very nice. sweet woman she was a very very sweet woman as a matter of fact yeah it's one of the yeah. reasons I, I started hating social media and commentary in newspapers because when she died uh, in the comments section of the uh, local newspaper, somebody wrote, "Thank God she's finally dead." Uh, yeah. Why? Well, you know, yeah. I don't care how much I dislike a performer. I'm not going to write, "Thank God they're dead." What the hell's wrong yeah. with you? I know. Now, I know. the book "Crane: Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder." So the murder is still unsolved. They that uh, yeah. Mr. Carpenter, John Carpenter. He went. He came and went and came and went and came and went. How did that thing end up? Well, uh, the Scottsdale Police Department, uh, Scottsdale in Arizona, uh, ill-prepared for murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were averaging what I heard about two murders a year in 1978, and totally ill-prepared for a celebrity quote-unquote oh, yeah. murder. Oh yeah. Uh, it took. Uh, 14 years, excuse me, 16 years, 16 years to get Carpenter to a trial, and that went through three DAs and numerous detectives and, you know, what have you, and they they finally took him to trial, and he was acquitted. Uh, The jury just felt there was not enough presented by the prosecution. Um... And uh, that was 1994, and he passed away, Carpenter passed away uh, in 98, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. So he was acquitted. Uh, why did they think in the, in the beginning? Because he was a friend of your father's, wasn't he? Quote-unquote friend, yeah. Right, he, he started right. out uh, as the local uh, uh, video salesperson. Now... 
we have to go back to 1965 okay. when Hogan started filming, and Richard Dawson, uh, Newkirk, the English guy in the sure. show, yep. uh, bought a reel-to-reel uh, half-inch video tape deck from Sony, and the salesperson was John Carpenter. So my dad saw this, and he said, oh, God, i got to get one of these. It's a reel-to-reel deck. It's a camera and a monitor. So that was the selfie of the day. The selfie right, back in 1965 right. was to check yourself out on the monitor and be recording it with your, your camera. And, uh, you know, and of course it was used for all uh, sorts of mischief by different people, including my dad. But it started out as the new home movie. You know, the Christmas opening the presents right, and, right. you know, that kind of stuff. It started off very legitimately, but then people, uh, like they do now with their uh, cell phones, uh, you know, use it for other uh, photos and other situations. They do use it for other situations. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a fan of Hogan's Heroes, I thought that show was phenomenal. I do, I love the fact that the guys playing the Nazis, particularly Colonel Klink, I believe uh, Colonel Klink, the the actor was Jewish, and he just yes. loved playing Colonel Klink as a moron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in fact, you know, when it got some criticism early on because some of the reviewers were uh, uh, mixing a prisoner war camp with a concentration camp. Uh, this was a prisoner war camp. They, these are all prisoners right. uh, from the uh, you know different fo- Allied forces. Uh, y- your reference to Jewish people, many of the cast, many of the writers, directors, producers were Jewish. Right. Uh, Robert Clary, who played LeBeau, the Lebeau. French guy, yeah. still had the the numbers. Not still, he had the numbers tattooed on his arm. He was in a concentration camp during God. World War II. So uh, you know, when they when they criticized it first, they were the, the reviewers. Some of them didn't know what they were talking about, um, and these two kind of camps are very different. Oh yeah, yeah, no question about that. Uh, so this great show it lasted six seasons, I believe. Correct? Yes, I think uh, that's right. 65 through 71. 65 through 71. And then the original run, but it's still it's still playing. Oh know? god, yes, it's still on. Yeah. You know that's what I I do love. That's one thing I love about 1000 channels is you can pretty much find it. If you want to watch something, you can find it. Yeah. There's no yeah. question about that. So so while this is on, while while this is how old are you uh while Hogan's Heroes is is uh playing on television? Uh let's see. I am 13 through 19. So a pretty important time of your life. I mean, that's a very, very yeah. big deal for a teenager to have. Your father yeah. was a very big star. I mean, everybody watched yeah. Hogan's Heroes. Yes. Yeah. And that was, Tom, that was also back in the days of, uh, you, you mentioned a thousand channels. This is three networks. You right. Know, it's ABC, NBC, and CBS. Yep. Those are your choices. So they used to get, uh, you know, on the, on the hit shows back then, you would get 30 million people watching yes. you every week. God. Uh, you know, which is huge. Oh, it's huge. Uh, nowadays, I think uh, you talk about the nighttime talk shows and all the rest of it. Now, you know, sports still does very well on television. Uh, a big, big TV show now 
and I mean the biggest of the big, is going to do about nine to ten million. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hogan's Heroes did you know thirty forty million. I know that uh, uh, Robin Williams. What was the name of that series he had at the very Mork. Mark, Mark, and, yeah, Mark, and, Mark Mindy. and Mindy, 70 million people watch that show uh, off and on. Wow. So that's wow. how much it's changed. Now a talk show, the Jimmy Kimmel, uh, uh, those the shows maybe do one and a half million viewers. Yeah. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, that's an amazing thing. So you're 13 to 19 years old. Your dad's a, a very big deal, talented guy. Uh, everybody knows you because your name is Robert Crane. His name is Bob Crane. Uh, and so in 1971, it ends. Are you in college at that point? I am. Yes, I, I went to USC uh, film school. Oh, you did excellent. So you wanted to get into directing, producing. You want to get into acting. What did you want to do? Uh, yeah, I wanted to be behind the scenes. I, I knew I, I didn't have the chops for acting like my dad did, um, and I, I wanted to be behind the scenes. You know, uh, just what you said, writing or directing or you know shaping a, a film or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had about, your father died in 1978. So for seven years, the show ends. Did he want to do more acting? Did he want to do more television? Did he want to do movies? What, what, did, what did your father want to do? Do you know that? Yeah, he, he wanted to uh, continue with, uh, you know, a, maybe another series uh, he did a couple of movies for Disney, which were not very good. Um, I, I think he was more of a television person. He uh-huh. also kept doing radio. He, he, his career jockey, started yeah. in radio. Yep. And uh, he was he went back to doing um, occasional specials for uh, L.A. Station, just for the fun of it, because he loved it so much. Uh, he did get another shot at a TV series, uh, for Mary Tyler Moore's company, but it was not very good. It was called the Bob Crane Show, mm-hmm. and it lasted uh, 13 episodes. It was, yeah, it wasn't great. It just was what it was. We come back in a couple of minutes. I want to ask you about you find out your father's dead. What happens after that? Be okay. right back more with Robert Crane and Tom Bernard Show. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin, is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. Robert Crane, our special guest on the Tom Bernard Show. Robert, I was just thinking during the break there that uh, you know when the story came out that your father had been uh, been filming, videotaping his uh, and photographing his sexual escapades, that somebody about, oh my God, oh that's so horrible. 
And shortly after that, not very long after that, it became the thing to do. And now, of course, if you don't have a sex, uh, sex tape up on the Internet, then I guess you're kind of a loser. <laughs> how, do, how do things change so much? Because people were shocked that he would, oh, my God, he, he videotaped his sexual escapades. I mean, what was he thinking? Was, yeah, well, I think a couple of things. Number one, you know, he was Colonel Hogan. He was the all-American guy yep. who yeah, was that's true. supposed to be apple pie and, you know, all that. Secondly, and I think most importantly, um, the... He loved still photography, he loved video tape, he loved film, whatever. And he, you know, we made uh, home movies as kids with him. You know, we did a, I was a teenager for the FBI and had sound and special effects. And all. He just loved that. Where he went wrong was uh, he started to videotape uh, women that he was with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was consensual sex from everything I've heard. Uh, there was no no drugs, no coercion, no any of that. Right. They wanted to be there because it was a treat to they thought to be with Colonel Hogan. You know, he's on the road somewhere, and and he loved women, and he probably shouldn't have been married. Uh, he was married twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem was these videos that he made were private. They were for his use and the woman that he was with. They were not supposed to be shown. What went wrong was that after he passed away, uh, his second wife, who he, uh, Patty, who he was in the middle of divorcing, took all this stuff, and when the Internet exploded, oh, yeah. put them out on the Internet. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Patty. Yeah, sounds like he'd along. You get along with Patty really well. It sounds like. Uh, I did initially in their marriage, just because I, you know, you're you right. Know, you try supportive of your dad and all that, and yep. then it, she basically had no room for anybody from his first family, which is, yeah, uh, you know, my family, uh, and everybody kind of felt the wayside and uh, right yeah she she is also no no longer with us she passed away in 07 but i always thought uh i asked the da's office in the scottsdale police department to investigate her i mean she right. was, she was the right. person who gained anything by his death uh they were in the middle of divorce proceedings and uh she got uh you know a, a nice house in westwood by UCLA, she got some life insurance policies. You know, it was not a million, multi-million dollar fortune, but it was very comfortable for its day in 1978. Right. And she got it all. Nobody else got a dime. Right, exactly. So now you find out, and you're 19... Well, let's see, how old were you? So you were 27 when your father died? 27, yeah. Area 27. So you find out, and then you find out that she, you know, that, that these videotapes are out there. And what is your opinion? Why was he killed? Do you have any idea who killed him? You said at first you thought maybe Patty was involved, and who knows, maybe she was. Is there any clear understanding of what happened? Well, the, the means and opportunity, as they say on these uh, the police 
procedural shows, which mm-hmm. my wife and I watch all the time, yeah. uh, fell to John Carpenter. He was in Scottsdale at the time of my dad's death. He had flown in there, uh, you know, on a quote-unquote business trip. He was still selling, you know, video where. Uh, so he would visit a city where my dad was doing a play, and they would party along for a couple of days, and then he would come back to L.A. So he was there. Uh, my dad was two weeks short of 50, which was uh, back in 78 was a big deal, 50 years old. Now I guess, you know, 70 is the new 50 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was making changes in his life. He was getting divorced. He was buying a, a house in L.A., and he told me that John Carpenter had become a burden, uh, to be blunt, a pain in the ass, in my dad's words. Right. Uh, he wanted to uh, hang her on. It was just, uh, he was tired of it. And I think uh, if, you know, it, it points to Carpenter, uh, it makes sense. He was there. The weapon apparently was a tripod, camera tripod, which somebody like Carpenter would think of. Uh, and it's also missing, by the way. They, they never found it. Uh, but that was the, the weapon. Um, that would go to Carpenter. So why was he found innocent of this? Uh, or not guilty, I guess is a better way to put it. Why, why? Yeah, I guess, I guess 16 years later, after the fact... Mm-hmm. The uh, the prosecution did the best they could with what they had. Uh, again, this was pre DNA testing, right? Um, and the Scottsdale Police Department had bungled uh, many aspects of the case, including uh, evidence uh, procuring and, and you know and, and keeping track of things were lost, photos were lost, evidence was lost. You know, it, it was bad. It was it was Andy and and Barney Fife, um, and uh, that was that's what was handed to the prosecution team, and they tried. They did the best they could. I I, I took the stand one day to uh, basically tell the jury what I just told you about Carpenter mm-hmm. uh, and the changes in my dad's life. And I I looked at the jury; they wouldn't even look at me. I mean, I, I thought, uh uh-uh, uh, this is a loser, a complete loser. They're they're not buying anything that the prosecution is selling them. They're they're almost kind of bored by this, all the talk of sex tapes and all that. Yeah, right, you know, it's, right. It's not it's not it's not going well. What's... And uh, there, three weeks later, uh, or it might have been six weeks. I'm I'm off, but um, yeah, they acquitted them. They just didn't have enough beyond a reasonable doubt. It kind of amazed me watching that whole thing go on and, you know, when your father died. And and it seemed to me the media went out of their way to try to paint your father as a bad guy for some reason. Why do yeah. you think that happened? Well, again, I, I think it was a, a feeling of a betrayal, you know, by Colonel Hogan. How could, how could yeah. our trusted Colonel Hogan do this to us? You know, fool us like this. He's really not Colonel Hogan. Well, uh... Basically, he was Colonel Hogan. I mean, that, that was right. the role he was born to play. He was a great dad in terms of, uh, just, he, he would be like Hogan. Okay, this is what we're doing today, you know, making the plans. Okay, kids, <laughs> we're making this movie. You know, we're going to, you know, we're, we're playing baseball today. We're going to the park. You know, we're going to a Dodger game. And it was fun. He was just a fun-loving guy. 
uh, as I said earlier, probably should not have been married, though. Yeah, it but, does but happen. A, but a great dad. Fun. Yeah, I, I just, I, I do remember seeing that whole thing. Do you think, how odd that is because you know your father's a very handsome guy very charming guy he's playing a role he's doing his job uh i gotta believe compared to the sexual problems that hollywood's having today with men doing whatever they feel like doing your father yeah. looked like a hero yeah yeah i again uh from everything i've heard of, about him it was he he loved women he had an appreciation of women right Not, beyond objectivity he actually had conversations with women uh he worked with women women um but he liked to engage in sex mm-hmm. with women mm-hmm. and uh sometimes record it you know and uh so yeah compared to some of the p- people we've read about today uh you know there was no drugs there was n- no coercion there you know he didn't have to pay off people. It didn't happen, from what I know. So, Robert, for you now, all these years later, it's forty years later. Yeah. Um, are you doing what you want to do? Have you have you achieved what you want to achieve? Are there things you'd still like to do? Well, I I've been writing. You you alluded to uh, some of the magazines earlier. Yes. Uh, I've I've been writing for magazines. I've written some other books as well, and uh, I love writing. Uh, I love being behind the scenes. I don't like being in front of a camera, per se, like, like my dad did. Uh, so, yes, in, in, in terms of uh, writing and writing with some other people, uh, it's been fun, and I, I've really enjoyed it, and I do enjoy it. I think it's a wonderful thing. I appreciate all your time today because oh, thanks, I'm in a situation where when, when the show hit the air, I was 13 years old. So I tune in and I'm watching the show. I think this show is absolutely hilarious because of, you know, Sergeant Schultz and Colonel Clink and oh, yeah. the way these guys just took advantage of these moron Nazis. It was a wonderful idea. Uh, and I think uh, Gilbert Gottfried did the best job of all uh, talking about. The, have you ever heard Gilbert Gottfried do the bit on pitching Hogan's Heroes? Oh, God, no. Gilbert Gottfried does this wonderful thing. He goes, I've got an idea for a TV show. We'll get Robert Crane. We'll get Bob Crane. We'll get a bunch of other people. Uh, it's going to take place during World War II. It's going to be a Nazi concentration camp. It's a comedy. <laughs> Hey, that, that's a pretty good Gottfried. That's okay, but yeah. that line, it's a comedy. Yes, a Nazi concentration camp comedy. Yeah. Just well, think about you, it. You know the original pitch, Tom. Uh, Albert Ruddy and uh, Bernie Fine, the creators of the show, their original pitch was to ABC, and it took place at a federal prison. Oh, so it wasn't going to be a concentration yeah. camp. No. So that's loads of laughs. That and is interesting. turned down down on that and then with you know the the uh, memory of stalag 17 the movie from the 50s yep, and yep. the great escape and von ryan's express with frank sinatra mm-hmm. they tweaked it and they borrowed a little bit here and there and uh came up with the heroes the heroes they filmed the pilot uh in black and white 
and it was the last pilot to be filmed that season and the first one to sell for CBS. And then they said, well, we got we got to, you know, make it around a person. Who else can it be but Hogan? Mm-hmm. So they called it Hogan's Heroes. Magnificent. I love the show. I, I I found it very, very funny. Your father was a charming guy. I'm sorry for your loss after all these years. Forty years later, it's still... Look, I, I'm not his son, but I still miss Hogan's heroes, you know? It, yeah. yeah. I, it's just how I feel. It, it made me very happy as a young teenage kid, and and I'm sorry for your loss, and I, I appreciate all your time. Fantastic of you to spend all this time with us today. Oh, thanks, Tom. Continued success. And uh, I'm sorry for your loss, too, that you talked about. Thank you very much, Robert. Robert Crane. Okay. Thank Thank you, sir. Bye. Now, have you ever seen the show, Melina? Yeah. Andy, have you seen it? I have not, actually. You've never seen it? I'm familiar with it, though. Yeah, you're familiar with it. You've never seen the show, though. Uh, no, I don't think so. It's actually very, very funny. <laughs> I mean, it takes place in a Nazi concentration camp, and it's a comedy. I mean, it, it is pretty interesting. But, yeah, it's one of those situations where now, if his father, 40 years later, or even, let's say, 10 years ago, so 30 years later, was doing what he was doing, he'd have been a big hero. He'd have been the Kardashians, you know? Uh... Uh, they did the best. Look, you have to understand something. What he was doing was filming people. Uh, everybody gave their consent, from what I understand, and everybody was involved, and they wanted to be there. Uh, he was a star, and Bob Crane's a very handsome guy. And in the Kardashians' case, where everybody thinks they're just wonderful and squeaky clean and multi, multi, multi millionaires, their own mother sold the sex tape of her daughter to gain fame. So who's worse? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Yes pretty clear that the, the the world has changed quite a bit but robert crane what a nice guy hell of a nice guy i had a lot of great really good guests today patrick j Deneen was on with us today of course david uh, roberts joined us david unfortunately it's really tough to talk to someone when they have to tell you you know i'm probably not going to live that much longer that's yeah. very very difficult to do there's no question about it thanks for listening we'll talk to you tomorrow tom bernard show <laughs>